Our third scripture lesson this morning comes from the letter to the Romans, chapter 12, verses 4 through 8. We have many parts in one body, but the parts don't all have the same function. In the same way, though there are many of us, we are one body in Christ, and individually we belong to each other. We have different gifts that are consistent with God's grace that has been given to us. If your gift is prophecy, you should prophesy in proportion to your faith. If your gift is service, devote yourself to serving. If your gift is teaching, devote yourself to teaching. If your gift is encouragement, devote yourself to encouraging. The one giving should do it with no strings attached. The leader should lead with passion, the one showing mercy should be cheerful. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Author of life, we thank you for your word. And we ask that as we reflect on it this morning, your spirit would be with us to transform us in heart, mind, and soul. Amen. Last week, we began to talk about how we can use all of our spiritual gifts together as one body in Christ. This week in Paul's letter to the Romans, we see our first example of Paul providing a list of some of those different gifts. And a couple of them are things that we'll see repeated in the coming weeks, so we'll get to teaching and prophecy a bit later. What we'll be focusing on today are those gifts that Paul names in this letter that I've broadly grouped into activities that allow us to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ in the world. These gifts of service, encouragement, giving, leadership, and compassion are the ways that the Holy Spirit empowers us to take the good news of the gospel and put it into action in the lives of those around us. So my approach this week and in the next two weeks will be to look at the gifts named by Paul and to lift up some real-world examples of those gifts in order for us to more firmly picture how they work. And as we think about these examples, maybe some of them will resonate with you. In fact, I expect that some will resonate more strongly than others because we all possess multiple gifts to varying degrees. And hopefully over the next few weeks, these stories help us to recognize where we are strongly gifted so that we can best serve the entire body. So let's begin with service, which is also sometimes translated as ministry. I'll admit that this one was actually a challenge for me at first. Do you ever have that experience where you get presented with so many options that you get overwhelmed and freeze up? That's what it felt like asking my brain to pull up an example of service because that's so much of what the Christian life is about. But then I thought of the book The Irresistible Revolution by Shane Claiborne because one of the chapters in his book is about the time that he took when he was still a student to travel one summer to Calcutta to work alongside Mother Teresa. As with anyone of Mother Teresa's reputation, she's not without controversy. But I would be hard-pressed to think of someone else in our time 
whose name has become so synonymous with service toward others. One of the things that Shane writes about in his time with Mother Teresa is this. While the temptation to do great things is always before us, in Caligat, I learned the discipline of doing small things with great deliberation. Mother Teresa used to say, we can do no great things, just small things with great love. It's not how much you do, but how much love you put into doing it. He then goes on to tell us about his time in Calcutta working with the poorest of the poor, about time spent comforting the sick and the dying, about feeding the hungry, about playing with homeless or orphaned children, about tending to the wounds of lepers. And then he writes, I began to discover the greater things. It was not just miracles. I started to see that the miracles were an expression not so much of Jesus' mighty power as of his love. In fact, the power of miraculous spectacle was the temptation he faced in the desert to turn stones to bread or to fling himself from the temple. But what had lasting significance were not the miracles themselves, but Jesus' love. Jesus raised his friend Lazarus from the dead, and a few years later, Lazarus died again. Jesus healed the sick, but eventually they caught some other disease. He fed thousands, and the next day they were hungry again. But we remember his love. And the point that Claiborne is driving home here is that the gift of service is not about the act that we perform. It's about the love that's conveyed through that act. Food, health, comfort are all impermanent. But the love that drives us to serve is permanent and real. So we may not be Mother Teresa, but we don't have to be. We can do small things with great love in our own ways. I'm reminded of a conversation I had with the District Committee on Ordained Ministry a few years ago, where I told them that I was looking into a summer lunch program for the church that I was at. And as we talked about what that could look like, one of the board members told me how her church had started a similar thing. And each week, some of the ladies would come in to make sandwiches to put into paper bags so that the kids in their community would have at least one meal a week that they could count on during the summer. One meal a week sounds like such a small thing. But to someone in need of that meal, what a great act of love it is to provide it. If you have this kind of gift, you're also probably the kind of person that finds yourself volunteering for anything that comes your way. Now, maybe you're not someone who's as comfortable being on the front lines of service. Fear not, there is a place for you as well. The next gift that Paul names is encouragement or exhortation. These are the people among us who have a gift for spotting the gifts of others and providing them with the support and motivation that they need to succeed. Some resources also use the language of cheerleading to give a different context for this gift. But as I thought about an example of this, I thought of coaches. Now I'll admit that there are some coaches who may motivate their kids, but do it in such a way that they're never going to get the best out of them. These are the kinds of coaches who rely on fear and the threat of punishment to scare players into submission. 
With my sister having participated in travel softball growing up, I saw my fair share of these kinds of coaches in that scene. And almost across the board, that kind of motivation eventually leads a team to collapse under the pressure and the anxiety. It causes burnout from players trying their best but never achieving the unrealistic expectations set for them. And so it's always a joy for me to talk with my sister about her own coaching career. She's the kind of person that is always looking for the best in the girls that she works with. When the team struggles, her focus is not as much on what went wrong, but on how they can improve the next time they take the field. Now, this, of course, means that there is some accountability. We can hardly be encouraged to be better versions of ourselves without admitting where we have room to grow. But the process of growing is just as important as the goal that we're reaching for. She told me recently about a player who got into some off-the-field trouble. And when my sister and the head coach sat down to talk with this player, she was expecting them to bring the hammer down on her, to make her run more or to get up early for extra training. But the goal wasn't just to punish the player. It was to help her be the kind of leader that the team needs her to be. And so they worked together to find ways that she could remedy her off-the-field problem by actively helping the team. The work of people with the gift of encouragement is vital because they keep the rest of us from falling into despair or focusing on our shortcomings. If you have this kind of gift, you're probably the kind of person that other people turn to when they're feeling unsure or if they're in need of a pep talk. And the next gift that I'm going to talk about could probably have some overlap with the gift of encouragement, and that's the gift of leadership. Specifically, Paul encourages those who lead to lead with passion. If you've ever worked for someone who doesn't believe in what they're doing, you know why this is so important. Who wants to follow someone who's just going through the motions? Why would you give your own time and energy to someone who isn't also going to give their time and energy to the success of your work. This one was easy for me to think of examples because in the Michigan area, we've been blessed by the leadership of bishops who are passionate about what we do. Some of you may know some of our past bishops better than I do, but I want to lift up a few of the ones who've made an impression on me, starting with Bishop Judy Craig. Now, I was only three years old, when Bishop Craig moved on from serving as the bishop of our Episcopal area, so I don't exactly have firsthand memories of that. It wasn't until I went to MTSO for seminary that Bishop Craig really started to figure into my understanding of the church. It was there that I saw how her passion for justice fed into the spirit of the school. It was there that I came to learn about her long-standing role as a voice for full inclusion for all members in the life of our church. And I can tell you the kind of leader that she was because her passion for justice still lives on in the places that she served, even though she's left this earthly life. Next is Bishop Deb Kesey, who retired in 2016 after serving the Michigan area for four years. Bishop Deb was our bishop during the time that I began exploring my call to, to uh, ministry. And I only had the chance to meet her on a few occasions. 
But one of the things that she brought to the church was an incredible gift for bringing people together. She helped lay the groundwork for what would become the Michigan Annual Conference, bringing together Methodists in the state of Michigan who had been two separate conferences. And before she came to serve us, she had been in the Dakotas, where she oversaw their process of coming together as well. And part of what made her so effective in this work was a true humility. In ordaining new clergy, she would take the time to wash their feet, a symbol of the way that she led by valuing all those around her. And finally, our current bishop, David Bard. Bishop Bard has been placed in leadership at a time in the life of the church when only those who are passionate about the church would be crazy enough to take the job. While the Michigan area has been able to celebrate our coming together under his leadership, we're also very likely on the verge of a major separation. But when Bishop Bard speaks about the good that the church is yet to know, you can't help but believe him. His humor and his patient grace speak to a joy that is rooted deeply in the gospel and that is infectious to be around. And so if you, like these bishops, are the kind of person who has a gift for leadership, you probably find people turning to you when a solution needs to be found because you're the kind of person that others trust with their time and energy. Of course, one would hope that a leader also possesses the next gift of compassion. For a few weeks, I was able to join Lucy and Nancy as they represented our church at the farmer's market downtown. And I can't remember if both of them told me the story or if it was just one. But as soon as I heard it the first time, I knew that it was going to end up as an example at some point when I needed to talk about compassion. This is a story from when they were little and their parents owned a restaurant in town. And this was also a time when black folks weren't welcome to eat alongside white folks in a lot of places. And what I was told was that there would be pheasant hunters who would pass through Clinton on their way from Detroit to wherever they were going to hunt. And one of those times, one of those hunters stopped at their parents' restaurant to get some food. And so once he got his food, he then went and sat outside the restaurant until their dad walked out and told him that he was welcome to come eat inside. And from then on, whenever they would pass through town, they knew that that restaurant was a place that they could stop to eat. Decades later, it's easy for us to sit here and think about how that was obviously the right thing to do. But compassion is the sort of gift that truly shines when it's not obviously the right thing to do. There's a reason that that gentleman's first instinct was to sit outside. And there's a real strength to compassion because it requires us making ourselves vulnerable to the experiences of others. And here's the thing about that story. I know how compassionate that both Nancy and Lucy are, so that story makes perfect sense to me because compassion is the kind of thing that spreads to the people around you. And you might also have the gift of compassion if you're the kind of person that goes to others because you can tell that they're in need. And finally, a gift that relates to everything else that I've talked about today, giving. It's easier for us to hear that we should give generously, 
and to instantly start thinking about money. That is the way that a lot of places ask us to give. But I was struck as I was listening to a sermon from my friend Beth about generosity. She was talking about the story of Abraham and Sarah when she said, God didn't need what Abraham and Sarah didn't have. God needed what they did have. And whatever we have is enough for God to use. So if you have money to give, then that's great. If you have time or skill to give in service, then that's great. If you have an ability to lift up others by encouraging them, then that is great. If you can help lead the people of God as we navigate our life together, then that is also great. And if you can sympathize with those in pain or in the margins, that's great as well. No matter which of the gifts that we talked about today or that we will talk about in the coming weeks, that is great that you have that gift because what God asks of us is that we give what we can, that where we have an abundance, we share it with others. We're all made in the image of God. And so it becomes our responsibility to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ moving and working in the world. We don't have to do mighty things to give abundantly. We simply have to do the small things with great love. Amen. Please pray with me. God of gifts and graces, you have made us in your image and gifted us with a portion of your grace. Call us into the world to be the helping hand to those in need, to be the ones who lift others up, to be the kind of person that others want to follow to you, to be the ones who bring comfort to the afflicted. And God, let us be generous with whatever gift we have so that others may see your abundance in our everyday actions. Amen.